Hey everybody, it's Brent. So uh, recently at SAP, we had Cloud Culture Day, which we've had some recent episodes tied to. And uh, I was fortunate enough to host what we would call a live podcast at SAP. And so uh, with the permission of the product engineering team, I am sharing the recording with everybody. And uh, I hope it adds some value. You'll get to hear some great content from uh, Jesse Marchand, who you've heard a lot recently, and Dale Sackrider. If you go back in time, there's great content with Dale as well. So uh, it's parking lot sized. It's pretty big. And uh, I hope you get something out of it. And thanks for listening. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to this iteration of Faster This Stand-Up. I'm Brent Lamont. Joining me today, friends of the pod both, Jesse Marchand out of the People Enablement Operations part of ISBN. Jesse, thank you for being here. Happy to be here. And Dale Sackrider. Dale, you know, it's been a while since you've been on, so I always want to ask the, has your title changed? Has your group changed? Where are you at now these days? It has not. Thank you for having me on. And I am still VP of Architectural Governance in uh, TNI in the Global Cloud Services Group. So there you go. We have a we have a lot of firepower here. So today's conversation, which is going to be parking lot sized, and for those of you who have not heard the podcast before, a parking lot sized episode is one where we go over twenty minutes or we go over fifteen minutes. So this one's going to be that. We're going to have a conversation about cloud culture and DevOps, how they work together, and why all of this is going to be important for SAP's cloud transformation. So I'm going to start, Jesse, with you, and I'm going to do the classic, give me a small overview. Give me like a 30-second drop for somebody who has not heard before what DevOps is, why does this matter, and how it, how, why am I here today talking about, about DevOps and cloud culture? And I only get 30 seconds. Well, no, you don't. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, look, if we were actually doing a full, uh, if we were doing a real yeah. episode, you know it'd be about 30 seconds because we only have 15 minutes, but we got a little well, more time. Let, let, let's, let's, let's try to build the picture then. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to tell a couple of, you know, a couple of other reference stories and thoughts that, that I've been thinking about this as, as I've been thinking about cloud culture and DevOps. And, and I'm going to start with, um, you know, maybe everyone's familiar with Stanley Milgram, but he was a psychologist and, and conducted a very, very famous experiment back in the 60s. Uh, and he was basically trying to measure the willingness of the study participants to obey an authority figure. And, and if anyone recalls this, this experiment, he basically had three people. There's a person in a white coat who's basically a, a volunteer is the authority figure, looks like a lab scientist or something. And then there is the actual volunteer who is controlling, you know, electronic devices, supposedly is giving painful shocks to someone in another room who's supposed to be the learner. And the learner, for every question the learner got wrong or incorrectly, you're supposed to increase the amount of shocks and increase in agony. Uh, and, 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 you know, the person would cry out in agony and it was all a fake, but, but, you know, the important portion and sort of the key takeaway is that basically the experiment proved that 66% of the people would, you know, when obeying that authority figure would give fatal shocks when prompted by that, that authority. Um, another sort of morbid example, but, um, you know, of, 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 of culture, um, you know, a lot of a lot of there's there's a, a couple of major air uh, Korean air flight crashes, 
And, you know, when going back through some of the cockpit recordings, uh, people were, were, you know, clearly they were about to crash in a mountain and the co-pilot or you know, some of the subordinates were telling the pilot, you gotta, you gotta do something, you gotta do something. Um, but they were just like super quiet and not really confrontational and not really didn't, weren't empowered to, to actually literally save their lives. So, you know, why do, why do I reference these, these sort of interesting stories? I, you know, if we can't create the right culture um, and, you know, and if we're just, just not really thinking or, our ways through these things and, and embodying the right behaviors, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to, we're not going to win. And I'm not saying we need to apply lethal shock to people to do get the right cloud culture here, but there's a ton of evidence that, that culture plays a huge part in DevOps. Um, and so I think the interesting question is, you know, why do DevOps and cloud culture and these stories and, and why do they really relate? And, and, you know, there was something that, that really struck me earlier one of the earlier episodes, Dirk said, the only thing you can count on is failure. And we work in a very complex system where you're gonna have these failures. We can't just listen to the person that, you know, the authority in the white coat telling us what to do because we don't, they don't probably know what to do either. So, you know, how can we build the right culture that where we can expect failure and really just work to improve ourselves, work to improve our teams, work to improve our value streams, our systems. Uh, and, and, and live in that culture. And that's, you know, a culture, you know, that creates a learning organization and a culture that I want to be part of. And I hope you do too. Well, we wouldn't be here if I didn't want to live in, in a culture that changes every day, right? So Dale, before I go to you with this, I want to point out to everybody, normally when we do a podcast recording, I don't have, a, I don't have an audience. It's basically me and like in this instance, it'd be me, Jesse and Dale. And we wouldn't have anybody giving us real-time questions. So take advantage of it if you can. Uh, so Dale, give me, give me your thoughts on how this works for architecture and governments. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting because I came from the um, infrastructure world, building data centers and uh, you know, network storage compute. And so for me, when I joined SAP um, and saw the DevOps side of this with, uh, you know, for me, it was all, well, that's coding, that's all applications. And then we get into the infrastructure's code and I'm like, yep, but that infrastructure's code still has to run on regular old infrastructure. And so right. it, it took, it really took me a while to embrace the mindset. And to, to kind of um, jump on, uh, Jesse gave a couple of morbid examples, but, uh, <laughs> but Steve, Steve Jobs is famously quoted as saying, it doesn't make sense to hire smart people and tell them what to do right? Mm -hmm. Hire smart people. And so they can tell us what to do, right? That's just, that's the famous quote. You get out of yeah. their way. And, and in the example with the, the plane crash, I mean, smart people sitting there watching the plane crash, but didn't feel like they were allowed to tell the pilot, right? That's crazy. And so um, the same is true all the way down to the infrastructure, despite the fact that you um, when you're building a data center, you have some very waterfall processes you have to follow. That mindset of we can all look and improve, uh, constant change, constantly um, be agile in our approach um, really is important and allows us to make a lot of gains that we otherwise left on the table when we're waiting for someone from up top to tell us what to do, right? right. And so where this plays into architectural governance um, is that, I found that one of the things we, we can DevOps, so when I start to think, what can you DevOps? Because 
coming from infrastructure, it was always code applications. And then I start to see we can DevOps the infrastructure builds. We can DevOps, right, uh, a lot more than just applications. Well, that kind of clicks the light bulb. We can DevOps our governance, our process. It doesn't have to be someone comes over with an authoritative gavel and says, this is what you'll do. Right. Instead, what we've done in uh, the Global Cloud Services Group is we've created a, a cross-organizational team where we pull people from every area of the organization. Um, we established a service architectural governance board. We established a, um, a governance development team. And we pull them together and we do sprints and stand-ups and we talk about what are the processes that are in place that everybody follows and are they working? And let's develop the next iteration of that and start releasing um, that governance every two weeks, right? Mm -hmm. Just like you would uh, shipping code. And in my opinion, it's been very successful. See, what I like about that is two things. One, that you use DevOps as a verb. We devops it. Yep. So, right, that's awesome. And the second part is the fact that you are using it for a non-traditional team. And by traditional, I mean, we always refer to agility or to DevOps or to anything within that umbrella as software focused. So the fact that you're doing it on a team that is not software focused, bravo, and how do we replicate that? So, you know, if, if, that, if the question, how do we replicate it is to me, it's, it's really, um, and this was in one of the podcasts, highly recommend guys go, go check out the podcast. It's, it's really got a lot of great content, but in one See, of those I'm going to give you a plus one for that right now. It's like, if you, if you're going to reference back to the podcast, I'm going to just give you a shout out. Okay, cool. The Ben Mill well, payments on the way. Uh, I believe one of your most recent episodes was about um, mindset and behavior. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think the way you, you replicate, you know, it's funny. You said I use DevOps as a verb in one of your emails to me talking about this session, you abbreviated DevOps D O and I read yeah. it as do, I read it as do. And, and when I read it, I was like, yeah, that's what we're going to emphasize do right. We, it's action. Yeah. Um, yes. And then I went, Oh, he meant DevOps. Um, <laughs> but still as a verb. Uh, but the podcast, it's, it's about mindset and, and behavior. When you change your mindset, and this is where it clicked for me, when you change your mindset about how you can make iterative improvements and utilize the smart people that are boots on the ground, so to speak, to, to gain insights into what's working and not working, right? then you can DevOps right, any problem that you're trying to solve. Yes. Yes. So yeah. Jesse, walk me, please. Yeah, I mean, going back to defining DevOps, and maybe we should take a, a step back for a second. I mean, I know it's very easy to think in terms of like CI, CD, pipeline, single trunk, feature toggles, all sort of the technical sort of uh, practices that that go along with it. You know, there, there's, but I think there's sort of a pretty abstracted way of looking at this. And I subscribe to the sort of Gene Kim three ways concept of defining DevOps, the first being thinking in an in end-to-end flow or sort of thinking in that value stream uh, approach. And that really emphasizes that collaboration between development and ops or, you know, architecture, governance, uh, you know, and, and the teams that you were talking about, Dell, or things of that nature. So can you put together a, a team that takes something from all the way from a request all the way out to something of value? Uh, I think the second, I mean, referenced in, in sort of agile and small small batches and iterations. The second way is really about amplifying feedback loops. So can you create 
a lot of chances to learn uh, continuous sort of and then improve. So continuous improvement, uh, empowerment, um, you know, ruthless prioritization actually kind of fit into that from a cloud culture perspective as well. And then the mm -hmm. third is just the culture of uh, the third way is a culture of continual experimentation and learning. So if you sort of think about those three principles. Um, you can sort of think about DevOps being being applied to a lot of things besides outside of the realm of just the pure sort of software development and, and run uh, world. Well, one of the things that we haven't covered yet, and, and I know is kind of, it's not directly referred to in the principles, but I think it's something that is underlying, is teams having psychological safety. Mm -hmm. And Jesse, I'm curious, how do you view psychological safety applying against the principles? It's a foundational element um, to having an effective team. And a lot of the cloud culture principles are team-based activities at the end of the day. I mean, sure, sure, you can do things individually. You can prioritize your tasks for the day. But, sure. you know, if someone else prioritizes a different set of tasks, you don't have a shared objective, right? And you're not going to, you know, <laughs> you're not going to be successful in the long run. So, so you know, psychological safety unlocks the ability for everyone to, to bring their best ideas. That doesn't mean you're always going to get, you know, your idea is going to be the one that's being implemented, but it starts to build that sort of shared understanding. Uh, and then if you layer on top shared objectives, shared priorities, uh, and, and you can own your full end-to-end -end sort of ownership um, and not have a bunch of dependencies on other teams, processes, et cetera, you, you know, you can move as fast as, as, as your team can go and as fast as your bottleneck and your value stream allows you to go. So um, it's, it's, it's a foundational element to being able to get better. So Dale, walk, yeah, yeah. And so Dale, walk me through how for an infrastructure team, how like an agile principle for inspect and adapt how that might tie in not only to what you're working on, but how that ties in back into say cloud culture. So with infrastructure that we've, there's a, there's been a constant discussion around this IT way of thinking versus cloud culture, right? Oh, you guys do it the IT, you're in the old IT way, right? Yeah. And we used to say that, uh, that's, that's the 1980s thinking, but that dates me because now now people say, oh, that's 2000s thinking. <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, when we, this, this DevOps, you talked about psychological safety. Um, it, you know, everybody sees problems on the ground. They see what's working and what's not working. And when you create that environment where they can raise their hand and say, we can do this better. And you give them the, um, the ability to fail Right, so you've got an idea. We can do it better. Let's try your idea. It didn't work. I'm not going to beat you up. I'm going to pat you on the back and say, "Let's keep going." Yep. Yeah. Right. And so yeah. that that allows us to, to kind of look at this, you know, from and like I said, from any problem. And so the problem that we dealt with is infrastructure. And I my focus now is very much in the governance, the frameworks and processes that we build. Um, is where is it working? Where is it not working? What incremental change? Who's got an idea? Let's see what that looks like. And because mm -hmm. we can make these iterative, quick turnaround, this is a cloud mentality. This is the difference between an 18-month lead time to release versus two weeks, right? 
if yeah. you make a change and it didn't work, that's no big deal. We're going to fix it. We'll fix it in the next two weeks. Right. Right. It right. really allows us to be um, iterative and agile and it gives people that safety. I can fail. Mm -hmm. And I know that everybody on the team here has my back. We're just going to keep moving forward. Yeah. Well, and I, I think it goes back to that two week thing, right? Is that if, if we make a mistake, we only lost two weeks. It's not like you made a mistake and you lost six months. Right. Right. So uh, go ahead. Well, and I, I hope uh, everyone's seen the dev learning on Mark Randolph, who's the co-founder of Netflix. But one of the quotes that, that really stuck with me from him was, uh, it's not about having a good idea. It's about building a system to test a bunch of bad ones. And in essence, that's, what the you know psychological safety having the processes that that are unconstrained uh, so you can release in two weeks or daily or multiple times daily you know whatever your your goal is uh, um, you, you can test out those ideas quickly and and react quickly and 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 reap the benefits of that. Well, and I think it goes back to one of the things that we popped up that popped up in the comments was making sure that having that psychological safety actually knocks down the silos. It talk, it, you stop talking about an us versus them thing. It's a we thing, Yep. right? Yep. And one of the other things that popped up in the chat was, um, what is, let's see, yes, it absolutely well-designed in CI/CD pipeline, but coming into an infrastructure level for sysenge or sysadmin, what's the role in the DevOps culture or journey? Anyone want to take a crack at that one? So as an infrastructure guy, I'm going to guess that. Yeah, might, might um, be for you. So, you know, um, this is where that that um, developer, the dev part of DevOps um, mindset kind of is, is important to, to kind of embrace that developer mindset. In my experience, I can't speak to every sysadmin or sysengineer, but in my experience, the sysadmin um, was God right? Like that was the, they were the authoritative voice. But when you get into a cloud culture and a DevOps mindset, you're on a team of people that are all working to find the right answers. And, um, and so as the sysadmin, as the, the, you know, you're not the smartest person in the room. You're a smart person on a really smart team. And when you can start to embrace that, we're all going to work together. It's not, um, you know, so there's not like, in DevOps, you're going to say, oh, that, that sysadmin role equals this role. Um, it, you know, it's, it's more of a, again, the mindset of how are we approaching problems? How do we iterate and troubleshoot? And I, I actually wrote it down, Jesse. I love that, that statement. It's about testing a lot of bad ideas quickly, mm -hmm. right? So, hey, uh, I've had really smart system administrators in, in my career that would just like titans, butt heads over who's got the best answer to solve the problem that we're trying to solve. In a DevOps world, you can say, look, go do yours on these systems, go do yours on these systems, and let's come back in a, in a week and see what happens and, mm -hmm. and see where we, you know, and of course you need to do that in a safe way. You can't just run amok in, in production. You create, you know, uh, Q, you know, QC systems and things like that, but, um, but you allow yourself to quickly iterate through solutions and then make a decision and go with it, right? One of the, you know, if we disagree, let's disagree and commit because we're going to have another release. If this is, doesn't work out as well as we had hoped, we'll, we'll adjust. Yeah. And I, I have some thoughts on that subject too, because I think it's a really, really good question because this makes it personal. 
you know, how, how does a, a specific role, let's take the sys engineer or sys admin, like, what does this mean to me? And, and what does this journey kind of look like? And I'm going to tell a story about uh, what, what Concur did, you know, many years ago. Um, there was, there was a, there was a huge incident at Concur, like two weeks of downtime, or maybe it was in more than that, but like whole system downtime, right? Uh, and at the end, and so after that got resolved, they started to look at do sort of some, some of the root cause analysis. And at the time, the infrastructure was a mix of physical servers and VMs. So you had your guys that were the VM experts, you had your guys that were the Windows server experts. And that's how they kind of defined themselves. Like, I am the Windows server admin guy, like, you know, I am the god of, of that. Um, but but basically, as everyone started to work together and collaborate, the, the CTO over the time challenged us to say, all right, no more sacred cows. So what does that mean? Like, we need to get out of this mix of a hybrid world of like the Windows guys and the physical guys and the VM guys. Let's let's start to, to, to build uh, together. So they went to Puppet Chef and started to do a lot of puppet work and started automating. And that was great for a little while, but then, you know, they started to scale. Um, they said, okay, this is, we need to re-examine this and let's get rid of puppet and let's do, or let's get rid of a, a, a centralized puppet and go headless puppet. Uh, and then pretty soon they're like, well, this doesn't really work that great. So let's get rid of a puppet and chef and windows and go all Linux and start our containers and, and Kubernetes journey. Right. And, you know, the reason I'm telling this is not because, you know, the system engineers were, were wrong at, at choosing any of these technologies or, or things. These were, the, these were the best ideas at the time that they could try out until they realized that we needed to go and do something different. And building up that mentality where you're not long, no longer tied to a single technology where you're, you're tied to, um, you know, you don't define your role as like the Windows guy. I think it's sort of liberating too, right? So, right. Um, I, you know, I think it's, 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 and, and that change is hard. I mean, <laughs> you know, I said something in 30 seconds, but it, it's, it's, it's much harder than that. But I think everyone can sort of start to take the mindset of, you know, we need to learn, we need to continually improve. And the thing that we did yesterday may not be the right thing for tomorrow. And that's fine. Well, it goes back to inspect and adapt. You inspect what's going on. If you figure out there's a better way, you adapt and make that happen. And I think to your point, it's the consistent and continuous improvement because that's what you're striving for is to continually get better. And if that means you have to change what you use as a tool, how is that bad? Yeah. So I want to make sure that we get in some of the comments in the chat. So I'm just going to read it verbatim. And then you guys can, I'll have you guys react to it. So first one is automation is not the end game engineered towards our autonomous systems. Mr. Sackwriter, we'll start with you. You know, that, well, this, this, that's a whole nother topic we could cover for hours, but um, you know, automation is, is, is great. And we do want automation in, in as much as possible because then you get consistent repeatable results. They might be the <clears> wrong <throat> ones, but they're consistent. Um, right. And then you can adjust. Um, uh, to get to autonomous systems, um, you know, I think the world's shifting there. We're going to have autonomous cars. We're going to have self-healing systems that can um, rewrite and redesign their own code. Um, and, you know, then we get into uh, at some point we may find ourselves all out of a job because the machines are building the machines. Um, you know, so 
but I think it's the I think it's the right direction. I think it's the right direction. I think it's the direction that it, it's it's like gravity. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. Um, and the more we can do toward um, you know building that um, is I think an exciting place to be. Okay, Jesse, thoughts. I apologize, but I completely missed the question and the answer. <laughs> no. So the question was all about uh, was about uh, autonomous systems, and some of the stuff that Dale was talking about was self healing systems and paradigm shifts. Mm -hmm. Okay. So Sounds thoughts. Good to me. <laughs> Let's do that. Good. See, I love that. See, were this an actual podcast, we would have cut and then we would re ask the question. It's all good, right? It's all real time. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll pivot unless you've got something you want to talk about. I, I do for a second. I, I think one of the most interesting things, I mean, we've talked about failure a ton today. I'm going to say it again. Fail, you know, failure is not a bad thing. It creates a learning opportunity. So what's sort of the next step after you accept that? Well, can we start to be more proactive in introducing failure? And this goes into a little bit of the chaos engineering and, you know, some of those type of practices, but can we actually figure out the resiliency of our systems by proactively introducing failure and controlled failure, but failure nonetheless. So that's Dale thoughts about, that. that's all good. Dale thoughts about uh, chaos engineering. Uh, it, it's, it always has, um, from an old infrastructure hat, right? It was always a, a pipe dream. Somebody wants to do chaos engineering and you say no. And then you start watching cloud companies that are doing it and you go, I guess it's not a pipe dream. Um, they, it actually reminds me, I know we don't have, I don't know, I'm not sure how much time we have left, but um, one of the, the um, parts of my journey to get here is I was working at HP and we were introducing um, an open stack kind of paradigm and moving to, um, uh, you know, the software defined networking, um, everything infrastructure as code. And it was at the time, and I would argue still a lot today, clearly inferior to the solutions we had in our physical network design. And, um, and I argued with the developers who wanted to roll this out. I'm like, it, you're, you're all of the objections they had, all the challenges they had were based off of poor architecture and poor operations of the network we had. And I said, that can be solved. Here's a better architecture. We know this is better. The way we designed it was wrong. And now that we've got that, you can operate that and create automation. And then it solves all these problems. What I didn't realize at the time, and it took me several years of, of you know, getting beat up over this to realize, is that what they were really pushing for was the ability to inspect and adapt. You can't inspect and adapt your physical systems every two weeks and make changes like you can in code. And so even though it was an inferior solution, it was a superior path. And so when we talk about failure, right, it's like, yes, what, you know, and again, to that, that quote I love for Jesse, you said at the beginning, a way to test a lot of bad ideas quickly. When you can get to a system that allows you to test a lot of bad ideas quickly, you can get to the right idea and a better idea a lot faster than if you take all the time that we did in the, in the 80s, right, to design robust systems that, um, you know, and, and I have in my career, I've, I've designed systems that had, you know, five nines of availability when I was in the financial sector couldn't go down or you lost millions of dollars a second. 
Um, but now we've got, you know, that's why it gets scary when you talk about chaos engineering. You, you can't do that, right? And what we've learned is that you can actually achieve much higher res uh, resiliency and availability when you allow that type of failure into the system. Mm -hmm. So I want to, I want to just make sure I get the quote correct because I want to use it, which is inferior solution with a superior path. Yep. Awesome. I like it. So, yeah. yeah. So a uh, question that came up here is what do you think needs to happen at SAP to get a critical mass of teams to live the principles and kind of culture that we've been talking about? That's the multi-billion dollar question. I know, right? right? <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm sitting here going, if they answer this question, it, you know, how much of a promotion are they going to get? Right. Well, I'm going to go back uh, to, I mean, look, we have what, 75 people here on this call uh, and, and hopefully more people will watch it from a recording perspective. But I'm going to go back to that um, psychologist I mentioned earlier, Stanley Milgram. Um, he's the one that did the, you know, the shocks of the, of the people. He conducted another another uh, experiment where he had he took a busy street corner in new york and had a guy just go there and you know stare up at the sky and then everyone's like continues to walk by the weird looking guy staring at, at the sky no one did anything right uh he then repeated the experiment had a had a group of i think five or ten or you know something like that all stare at the sky and guess what happened you know more people just stopped and started staring at the sky <laughs> blankly, right? Like, so, so what is it that we, we need to do to transform and get a critical mass of teams? We need to have the social proof. And that's ex exactly what the experiment is. We need to live the behaviors. We need to, we need to hold each other accountable. We need to hold our, our managers accountable. We need to hold, if you're a manager, you know, the people under you be accountable to this cloud culture. We need to create that social proof right now. We're, we're still in the early adopters. And you know we're still in, in sort of the the early stages of the of the innovators curve, so to speak. But but we need to create that social proof. And just you know the fact that you're here today is a great start. Uh, I would yes. say the the next thing is think about the the ways you can st start to improve the environment that you work in. Think about the metrics. If you're on, more on the um, development side, or you lean on that that sort of product engineering development side. Think about the DORA metrics, you know, the change failure rate, the MTTR, deployment frequency, lead time. Think about those things. What, what, what do those look like in my process? Think about where your bottlenecks are. Think about people you haven't talked to in your work stream on, on you know, my lead time might be long because, uh, and this is an example, a real life example. Um, we, we just did a value stream mapping with one of the teams in SAP and they realized they were bottleneck because the documentation team wasn't talking to the product management team. So they, you know, they were just completely off, off, off and misaligned. And when we brought them together for the first time, they were just like, Oh, that's what you guys do. Or, you know, things like that. So figure out what those bottlenecks, those communication pathways are. Think about those core metrics. If you're more on the sort of ops side, think about your, um, you know, the golden signals, think about latency, traffic, air saturation, think about all those things, right? And, and that, that, um, that will help you also start to assess your system. And, and, and you can also use the, the other uh, metrics I, re I referenced earlier. But, um, you know, start small, start with your own team, try to improve your own culture, 
try to hold each other accountable and, and realize, you know, we need to create that social proof. So I actually, um, you, the, the experiment where everybody's looking up, it, it reminded me um, of uh, the, the, um, the lone dancer kind of uh, viral video that was years ago. Um, you know, this guy out on the hillside just starts dancing crazy. Um, and by himself, he was a crazy guy, right? Um, but then one guy jumps up and runs over and starts dancing with him, right? And within 45 seconds, the entire hillside, everybody's dancing. So when we talk about critical mass, right? Um, you know, it's easy for me to say, oh, it starts with you, right? And so everybody adopts the mindset, uh, which is important. And we do, we need to embrace and adopt the mindset ourselves. But I would say, look for your crazy teammate that's, that's embracing this and join them, right? Um, because when you have a couple of people that are really embracing this, and we saw this, and I, I'm, we saw this in, in uh, GCS and global cloud services, when we pulled together a team of people and started to live the culture with one, two, three, four people, it's, it, it suddenly grew. And we had people that would join the team a year after we had established it and literally pulled us to the side, some of uh, the leaders and said, is this for real? Right. And, and uh, what, what do you mean? He goes, I see teams that were siloed and, and have had all kinds of politics and they're all represented in here and everybody's actually working together and embracing solutions and looking for the right answer. And he goes, I've never seen this. Right. And we had that from a couple of different um, voices of people that had joined the team after a year of doing it. So it's, it's possible. You just have to, to, you know, set down all of your guards and say, we're going to work together and look for that person who's out there crazily dancing toward this beat and get on beat. Well, see, and what's so funny about that is that uh, Tanya had posted that in the chat like a couple minutes ago before you even brought it up. So I think that's hilarious, right? So all I want to say is as a dancer, let's see, let's write it as, an, as a story for, for a scrum team. As a dancer, I want to dance more so that others will join me. Right. Yep. Um, <laughs> so yeah, let's let's have that be the motto, right? You know, as a dancer, I want to dance more, so everyone will join me. So the, with the time that we have left, but we've got about seven or eight minutes before I have to close. Um, how do we how do we get more people to dance with us? How, because here's the thing: I can sit here with the with the glass half empty, right? Here's, here's my half empty glass. And I could say, look, uh, I can dance all I want, but I've got people who don't want me to dance and I can't dance. How am I gonna get, how do I get to express my dancing skills? Which by the way, we don't wanna see on, on camera. <laughs> well, I don't wanna monopolize on uh, Jess, if you got, if you wanna add, but. Um, but I do have some thoughts on this. One is because I'm a, a people leader um, and I have a, a decent sized team, um, I can tell people to dance, right? And that's <laughs> one way to do it. But okay, um, I need more Dales, more Dales telling people to dance. That's what I'm hearing. But it's, it's, uh, but that's, uh, I mean, obviously that's not the, the culture we're trying to embrace here anyway, right? We don't want this top down directional telling everybody what they have to do. You're, you're gonna, you know, the beatings will continue until morale improves, right? You don't want that. Yeah, no, because um, that's yeah. waterfall. Right. And so <laughs> it's not what we're looking for, but um, I would suggest 
and you know the, the quote that you know dance like nobody's watching right um yeah. it really is about being you know just being vulnerable and open and honest with people so when i have approached people without that authoritative hey you're going to do it because i said so and 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 i i have to do that with when i talk to a lot of people that they don't work for me and so yeah. I, I i come and i go look we want to make this change and i've had a lot of people that are skeptical and they'll say look i like what you're saying but is, is it really going to happen I've seen this, I've seen this dance before and it always ends in tragedy. And so I've, I've, the approach I've taken is, is just the, the vulnerable answer of this time could too, we could crash and burn. It could completely fail. Right. I'm asking you to step out with me and let's, let's, let's give this a real shot. And um, the more of us that do that, we end up with that critical mass and we start making real change, the kind of change we all want to see happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think there's a couple of elements. I mean, you do need good sponsorship and leadership to create the space to go out and do it. Uh, that's absolutely imperative. Uh, and I and you know, I've seen teams struggle under the right sort of leadership to get the right traction on on the changes they'd like to see. Um, beyond beyond that, though, I mean, you know, I, I think think of like some of the Scrum values and the frog or the frock, right? The focus, respect, openness, commitment, courage. And I think those are elements too. If you are starting a dance party by yourself, you know, think of the frog or frock and that's-, that's Yeah, there, the there we go. We're, we're just gonna have, we're just gonna have our own dance parties. Yeah. Uh, so a couple of questions have popped up. So uh, if the team doesn't know the value, they're not going to implement it. Yes. Start with why. Simon Start Sinek, with, right? <laughs> there you go. Simon Sinek, and let's go with the five whys, right? Well, why do you think it's not going to work? Well, one thing I want to throw in there is that you can have somebody say, well, it didn't work before. Okay, maybe it'll work this time, right? That's, that's the thing that I think people run into is like, we tried Agile 20 years ago. It didn't work. We don't need to try it. Things have changed in 20 years. Or, you know, the last team I was on, we, we tried that. It didn't work. Is it the same team? Is it the same day? Is it the same week? Like, inspect, adapt, iterate. If you do those things, to Dale's point, it may not work. But then again, it might. So give it a shot. You know, what, what have you got to lose? You've got two weeks. You know, if you want to, if you want to like completely be agile about it and it's like, okay, we're going to do a two week sprint. If it works, awesome. And if it doesn't work, well, we'll try again. Mm-hmm. Where's the harm? Yeah. Right. Um, and, and don't have a uh, slow overloaded feature backlog that you have no chance to experiment either. Right. Right. Small iteration, not large iteration. Yeah. We're not going to do SPO2, right. To go back to the, to the VLAN theme, right. We're not going to do SPO2. We're going to do this little thing and see if it works. Uh, someone brought into the comments, uh, tell the benefit of the dance and use simple steps to make everyone com- uh, comfortable to participate. Yeah, it's true. You're not doing you're not doing the waltz, right? And and you're not doing the waltz backwards and in high heels. See, see what I did? Okay. And, and uh, I think and I think a great way to make that practical first align on your objectives like what is truly your objectives of of the team value stream organization uh, and then start measuring things and maybe have a value mapping session on like what is the process for us to deliver value and and what are the what does those metrics look like can we find our, our constraint or bottleneck uh, and then and then 
how do we sort of agree on going, getting better? Like that, those are steps that, that's, that can provide a ton of value and, and are not, don't require any special, uh, you know, DevOps magic there. So Jesse, I'm going to throw a shameless plug your way. If there was a team you would want to work with to do value mapping exercises, <laughs> yeah, we do. Do 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 you know of one? We we within ISBN do some value stream mapping, but uh, you know, unfortunately, like we we have a scale problem, just like you know most other people from a resourcing perspective here, and that you know. With the amount of demand we get, we couldn't do it for everybody. But there are some resources out there to, to introduce folks to value stream mapping. It is a core concept within DevOps and I highly recommend using it as a tool to help break down those silos and under unearth your bottlenecks and figure out a map for improvement. There you go. Uh, a couple other comments that are in there. Uh, to create the space, do it in a test environment and not directly in prod. Uh, I think that goes back to some of the stuff that Dale was talking about, right? It's like you can't scale if you can't, if you are limited by the box you're in, right? And then one other comment, uh, ironically, those who aren't dancing today know that they should be dancing. I think we as an SAP needs to shift leadership to be inclusive with not, oh, see, then it's, someone else popped in a comment. Uh, to shift leadership to be more inclusive and not just managers. The moment staff see a more inclusive culture in strategy and decision-making, the sooner we'll see more dancers. Thoughts? We got about three minutes. I, um, from my perspective and where I sit in the organization, we work very diligently on being inclusive. Um, and so uh, everybody's, you know, this is one of the principles of a, of a DevOps meeting. And we've told people that come in, no matter what their position is, when you step into the DevOps room, you're a developer like every other developer on the floor. So your voice is not um, you know, less important, but it's also not more important. If you come in and you have a title, that title stays at the door. You just became a developer. Um, and so everybody is, uh, has an opportunity um, and we do our best to, to keep that inclus inclusion and diversity uh, in all of the things that we work on. And one last thing that popped in, and I, I want to make sure we cover it really quick with the limited time we have left. So uh, would you agree, or let's see, would you say this is a top-down or bottom-up approach? Where do we start? Teams or leadership? And I'm going to throw in my two cents first because it's, uh, it's said both. And the problem you're going to run into is the resistance layer, and you just have to keep chipping away at it. Hundred percent agree. It's 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 oh. both. It's everywhere. Yeah, it's it. It goes back to the conversation we had a couple sessions ago. It's a it's an us thing. It's not a you thing. It's an us thing. All right, we are at time, gentlemen. I want to thank you for the time together. As always, a pleasure. Until the next iteration, I'm Brent, and I'm Dale, and Jesse. Until the next iteration, you can give us a five-star rating at your podcast provider. Reach out to us on mail at info at fasterthanastandup.com, or you can find us on Twitter at FasterStandup. Thanks for listening, and that was not Faster Than a Standup. The opinions on this podcast are solely those of the participants and not of their employers.